0: to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel.
1: Thank you, Daniel. Catherine just leaned over to me and said that's a lot of scripture. So get, uh, do your thumb exercises And just a reminder of our shift, we're still taking open votes, but to have this one slide uh, that you would be in the Word, that we'd hear flipping pages, it's okay if you use a device to do that. It's just cheating a little bit. Um, We like to know where things are in God's Word and in a world that's so often uh, digital, it is good to have something tangible, isn't it? Uh, So you also kind of know where I might be, and how you know how long the sermon might be going, and so they could have find great encouragement uh, by tracking with and checking off the scriptures as we go. Uh, the reason there's so many today is really Zechariah's prophecy is so much scripture. It's just coming out of him as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and we'll see that. I got a note right before also coming up that there are, the number currently is 1,500 youth, so 18 and under living on our streets just in our city um, trying to find shelter in warm places and needing help. So thanks for the youth for leading us uh, to be mindful of them and others that are hurting and in need in, in this time. What are you wondering about? I wonder if it'll snow on Christmas Eve this year. I, I wonder if the Seahawks will Make the playoffs. I, I wonder, I wonder what you're going to think of this sermon. But is this the kind of wonder that came upon the friends and neighbors and relatives that were gathered with Zechariah and Elizabeth on that eighth day after John was born? Is some kind of fleeting thought wonder that makes you go, huh? And you hear it again: a time came for Elizabeth to give birth, she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on this eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, his name shall be called John. And they said to her, but none of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all Wondered. I wonder at this name, John. There's no one in the family with this name, huh? A passing thought, ready for any other thought to come in. Gee, I wonder what's for dinner. But no, the word here and the events that follow show us it's a much deeper thing than maybe a fleeting thought or the way that we might commonly use that word, wonder. So I'm hoping to redeem that word, wonder. But these neighbors and relatives who had gathered for a naming ceremony, it was part of their custom, a little unusual for us, but on the eighth day when the child would be circumcised according to Jewish law, there was also a naming ceremony that took place and friends, neighbors, relatives would gather and it was a joyous event. And in this case specifically, they were rejoicing with Elizabeth and Zechariah for the, the gift, the miracle of this child. By now, I'm sure they've heard, as Zechariah has communicated in writing, some of the story of Gabriel coming and proclaiming uh, that they would have a son and his name was now John. Apparently that part was left out of the recounting. And so while we are unused to this kind of a ceremony, one thing I considered very similar for us when a baby is born, or in our culture probably just about to be born, Everyone and their mother wants to tell you what to name the child, or what not to name it. And if you've had kids maybe recently, you might remember uh, hesitating to even share some of your top names that you're mulling over. Uh, Oh no, you can't name it. I I thought about a couple names, but I didn't want to offend, so (laughs) you fill in the blank. You mustn't name, we heard a name in the store last night, and we turned and looked at each other, let's just say. And no, no, especially you don't want to ask school teachers because they always have a specific student that comes to mind with that particular name that you mustn't name your child because they will be the spawn of the enemy. (laughs) So why is this authority given to these friends and neighbors? They're going to name him, they just thought that that was their right to speak into. Ma- a name was a powerful thing, and it was often to indicate uh, either something of their their calling or their future or even uh, who this child seems to be. So it was a collective thing. They are much more communal than we cer- than we are today, uh, and there is something that is a strength to that. But they believe they're going to name him Zaki Jr. That just makes sense, and. <laughs> And now we wonder why John sounded so strange to them. Uh, The name John means the Lord has shown favor. So you would think that would make sense to these names. Oh, now we get it. And they're pretty certain. Even though there's no one by that name in the family, the Lord has shown favor. We get that. We understand that story. And yet they wonder. Thaumadzo in the Greek this is not just, I wonder, in a fleeting thought kind of way. This is to marvel. In fact, if you have another translation, it may say, to their great amazement, or they were astonished to the surprise of all who had gathered, which then makes me wonder. Why at this name? It should have made sense. They should not have been astonished or marveling. What is, what is going on? Quickly, let's take a peek at, I think, an insightful contextual uh, passage in Acts chapter seven, where this word thalmazo shows up. See if you can pick it up. It doesn't say wonder. Acts chapter seven, verse thirty and following. This is ser- uh, a sermon by Stephen right before he's martyred. Now, when forty years had passed, Stephen is preaching. An angel appeared to Moses in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame, a fire, in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. You catch that word amazed? In your translations, you may have something else written there, I wonder, he wondered. That wouldn't make quite as much sense, at least not to our ears, but it's the same word, thaumadzo. This same kind of wonder that the neighbors and friends and relatives felt is this same kind of wonder, amazement, that Moses felt at seeing this burning bush. This is what's so Amazing, it makes me wonder. A mute man writes one word on a piece of paper or a tablet of some kind, uh, a name, a single name, John. What's so amazing about that? I mean, in the next moment, Zechariah, who's been mute for nine months and apparently also deaf. This is where we have insight to that because the people are making signs back to him. Why, why else would they do that if he could hear what they were saying. So it seems like an added bonus from Gabriel. Not only will you not speak, but you will not be able to hear. So for nine months, Zechariah, all he's been able to do is wait and watch, maybe wonder himself. I believe that also became a blessing to Zechariah, and maybe also to his wife Elizabeth. Chuckle. But to be required you know, when we need rest, and then we find that God takes us out in a way that we weren't expecting or wanting, maybe through pain, or we might find ourselves even in a hospital bed, and yet we have a rest, a peace that becomes like a blessing and something that is teachable to us. Maybe for Zechariah, that was also a blessing. And now he speaks. And these friends and neighbors certainly would have known that he was deaf and mute and now he speaks. That's something to marvel at, to be amazed at, to wonder at in this context. And they do, and yet it's even more. It says fear came upon them. A sense of great awe as as fear is often used in the Bible. A fear of the Lord, a fear of God. Not that there wouldn't be trembling before him in his majesty, his holiness, and his might, and his power when we truly come to Behold him, that's a right response, but that sense of fear is an incredible awe. God is awesome. We would also need to redeem that word. Something deeper is happening here, something extraordinary. It's not just a mute man speaking or a single name written on a tablet that they are amazed at, even if that tablet was an iPad Pro. This, it's not the amazement at this old man's calligraphy. These friends and neighbors and relatives are marveling, just like Moses marveled at the bush that was burning. Here's why. Enough build-up for that. Because God was in their very midst, and they had been totally unaware of it. And now he is making himself known. They are starting to become aware that something supernatural is in fact happening. Such a parallel to Moses' experience. This is the Christmas story. This is what we celebrate. But it's more than that. It's the message of all scripture. People are living in the midst of, in the presence of God himself and are totally unaware. And at times, in many ways and various ways throughout history, God makes himself known. And sometimes that's a process of people becoming aware of the presence of God. Have you ever had the experience where you thought you saw something out of your periphery or on your periphery? And so you turn to look and there was nothing there. And then like the hair on your arm stands up. It's kind of like that. You, you are, have been totally unaware of a presence. You're becoming aware of it and yet not fully. And it stirs you. It moves you. It makes you marvel or wonder or tremble. That is what is going on here. And if this is the reality of most of our world, living in the midst of God's presence and totally unaware, what would wake us up to that reality? What would it take? What would it take? Will we rightly tremble as Moses did as these friends and neighbors and relatives trembled in fear, in awe, Do you wonder? Here's a prayer that I wrote this week. And I'll pray it now for us. And perhaps at the end. Lord God, astonish us with your presence. Wake us up from our malaise. Rescue us from our fleeting and feeble sense of wonder. To a holy and deep longing for more of you. Light a fire in our midst. Astonish us with your word may we be unable to go through our day without pondering your amazing grace and mercy, the works of your hands and the words of your mouth. And may we be unable to keep silent, loosen our tongues to speak of your goodness. Amen. It was time for Zechariah to speak. Nine months of only being able to listen and wonder and watch and wait. You imagine he's probably thought about what to say when that moment comes. And he's, he's now fully believing the promise, right? Where he doubted at first, you, there will be a sign given to you of God's faithfulness and of his coming. Elizabeth will bear a son. How will this be? Well, in case you want to know now that this is true and trustworthy, shut up and watch. And he's mute. And so in that moment, he truly believes, right? Okay, I I I trust you, but there's probably that lingering doubt. How will this still be? And then Elizabeth becomes pregnant now for nine months, so he is fully believing the promise, and part of that promise was, until all this is fulfilled, you will be silent. So the day is coming, right? And he's waiting for that day, and he knows I will speak, and there's probably that little bit of doubt, a little trembling at this Gabriel and this holy God. Will I ever be able to speak? I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. And so he's probably ready to speak. And if it was you or if it was me, what we would just be so ready to talk about ourselves, wouldn't we? You don't know how hard this has been on me. I mean, that Gabriel, can you believe him? And now that I've heard that he showed up to Mary too, and she asked the very same thing that I asked. I thought it was a good question. How will this be? When Elizabeth is so old, I mean, when we are so old, And he didn't shut her up, he just simply explained why. This does not seem fair. Maybe we should give him a little more credit, but that's what I think of. So quick to talk about ourselves. Perhaps if he was a little more humble and a little more holy, he would have proclaimed the full story. And he probably did and probably was ready to do that at some point. Come, his going in, his his name being drawn by Lot, getting to go into the temple and light the incense and pray for the nation. And then Gabriel showed up. And here's what he said. He proclaimed the very same promise from Malachi 4. The end of Malachi, the very final prophetic word recorded in the Old Testament. Malachi 4, 5 and following. And for 400 years, silence. God's people knew that God was Still with them and working through them, much happened in that history, but no clear prophetic voice. The prophets, the days of the prophets had ended. Silence for 400 years. Will God ever speak again? And here comes Gabriel, proclaiming, like the prophets, the same word. So this is uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 17, Gabriel speaking. He will go before him in spirit and the power of Elijah your son, John, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And here's the final words. Maybe you're already there in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and following. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers." Perhaps this is what Zechariah was ready to proclaim. When my tongue is loosened, I will proclaim. I will be faithful. I will tell of God's word to me and who John will be. And yet that's not what he proclaims. He doesn't talk about himself. He isn't proclaiming even Malachi. He's not even really talking about John. What comes out of him is, is a powerful prophecy. Perhaps even, many believe, a song that has that kind of language recorded to be like a song that he sang. He burst out in song. You ever burst out in a spontaneous singing? One of our favorite Christmas movies, I probably shouldn't say it, is Elf. It's not. I gotta look. It's not, but okay. And there's spontaneous, just spontaneous singing. The joy overcome. Okay. Come back to me. This makes me think of Adam who burst out into song when he saw Eve for the first time, God's creation of beauty, the work of his hand. He burst out into song. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. The natural response. Adam had a longing that he wouldn't have even been able to truly express into words until he saw how God fulfilled it. Very same thing for Zechariah. A deep longing that he couldn't have even truly expressed. It went much deeper than his longing for a son. And what he proclaims almost in, in song, filled with the Spirit. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit fills and his servants speak. It's all about Jesus. Jesus becomes known. Jesus becomes proclaimed. That's what is happening. While we would expect him to be talking about either himself or about, about John, the promise of this, this amazing boy who is going to carry with him the spirit of Elijah and prepare the way for the Lord. He could have talked all about him, but he only speaks of him in one verse, verse 76. The rest of the prophecy is all about Jesus. It's all about the messianic promises, God's forever promises coming to be fulfilled. Quoting scripture on every line, he proclaims the good news of great joy. Let's buzz through some of these. We could spend a lot of time looking at all of the references. They're just dripping with the prophetic language of the Old Testament. Verse 68 God has visited his people. It's a common way to, that God's people expressed his presence, his gracious help in times of need. Maybe uh, one of the clearest times, Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. This is where we move down the list here uh, quickly. The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. The Lord had visited. God had come. God's coming. Emmanuel in Jesus. He is with us. This is amazing because Jesus hasn't even been born when Zechariah is proclaiming this in the present tense. He has visited his people. And he goes on speaking that way as if it is done. And this is where we get the, the has been and will be tension of really all of our stories. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus has come and he's coming again. Because he has come, we have confidence and hope for his coming again. We speak this way. He has visited. So Zechariah both means he has visited his people throughout history. He has done this. This is who God is. And yet also in the moment he has come. He's still in a womb, but he has come. That should make the hair on your arm stand up. Verse 69, he will be a horn of salvation from the famous Psalm 18. Verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. This is not a trumpet or an instrument horn. This is an animal's horn. Think of a bull or elk with antlers going into battle or to charge for victory. It's that kind of horn of salvation and deliverance that he is speaking of. Verse 69 and 70. He will be of the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So this can't be John. This is maybe the clearest example that we have in this prophecy that he is not speaking of his son John. Zechariah is a priest. He is a Levite. He is speaking of the Messiah who is, of the, is a son of David, of the house of David. David was a Judite. be of the tribe of Judah. And as spoken through the holy prophets from of old. Which prophets? Really, just about everyone. But think of Samuel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, perhaps the most famous Isaiah. Think of Isaiah chapter 9, common passage, certainly this time of year, Christmas time. Isaiah 9, verse 7 and following, of the increase of his government, this coming one, this Messiah, the Savior, this King, of the increase of his government. And of peace there will be no end. While every ruler and leader and king, good or bad, came and went. And through all history that would be true, not of this coming one. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, he would be in the line of David. This is how Matthew begins his gospel, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then he goes through it. Verse 71 and 74 He will save, He will deliver from all enemies. Certainly for the Jews, they could think of maybe their greatest enemies throughout history, and they had many the Hittites, the Assyrians. Persians, Babylonians, Philistines, on and on we could go, but ultimately their perspective needed to shift, just as ours often does, from the earthly and physical to the spiritual. Our greatest enemies, and Jesus would proclaim this again and again, your greatest enemy, and so would Paul, they're not flesh and blood, do not fear those who can kill the body There's a spiritual war, a spiritual battle. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25 Jesus must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The greatest enemies we have are sin, evil, death, decay. Not any person or any nation. That's what Zechariah is proclaiming the coming Savior who will deliver us from all of our enemies. The promise isn't for a nation, but for a people, a people of God throughout all history. We need to be reminded of that as we rightly pray for our nation and our leaders, as we rightly pray for revival. And if we rightly pray for revival, we're praying for the revival of God's people, not a nation or a country. There's no promise for any nation or any country. There's only a promise for God's people and His kingdom alone. Verses 78 and 79, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Isaiah 9, back to Isaiah 9, this is verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in Seattle in the wintertime long for and appreciate the light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. This is a messianic prophecy so clear. It is not John that he's speaking of. It is Jesus. The other John, we called him JTA, right? John the Apostle, not JTB. John the Apostle, began his gospel, John 1, 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus himself claims, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you see how the prophecies from of old are just being fulfilled, being proclaimed through Zechariah, fulfilled by Jesus? And again, we, this is just scratching the surface. We could go so much deeper. This is the true wonder. This is the chorus, ultimately, of Zechariah's song. Jesus, the Savior, the light of the world, is coming. And therefore, verse 75, holiness and righteousness can be known. Verse 77, forgiveness for sin. 78, mercy. 79, peace. This is the good news. This is what John would later preach, JTB. Chapter 3, verse 2 of Luke. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. No, it's not me. I must decrease, he must increase was what John would preach. Verse 18, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. So it's all about Jesus. Zechariah's song, John's life, his ministry, his preaching, the law, the prophets, and all history. They're all pointing to Jesus. Jesus would later proclaim, Luke 24, verse 27, teaching his disciples after the resurrection, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's not a new insight for anyone who's sat under my teaching for any length of time. It's all about Jesus. Everything finds its fulfillment in Him. All peoples and all history, aware or totally unaware of God's presence and His work or His promises, were awaiting His coming. And when He came, He came in fullness. And the same is true today. All people and all history aware or totally unaware, are awaiting the coming of Jesus. And when he comes, he will come in fullness. But he will not come in the same way. He will not come through the womb of a teenage virgin in a lowly little hill town, in the middle of nowhere. Scriptures say he will come riding on the clouds, And everyone will see, just as lightning is seen in the east from the west, everyone will know of his coming. He will not come in humility, he will come in victory. How is our sense of wonder, amazement, awe at this news? Do we marvel at it? Is it good news? Or does it sound like old news? No news? Have we sipped too much eggnog, done too much online shopping, sung jingle bells one too many times? As you sit and receive some of this incredible news, What are you thinking about in these last 20, 30 minutes? What are you pondering? Where is your thought? What are you talking about already in your head with the conversations that will be later today or this week? See, a way to test our sense of true wonder, our wondering is probably to consider our pondering and to keep the alliteration, our prattling. And we'll have to look that up, maybe just chit-chatting. What do you talk about? What consumes your thoughts and fills your words and conversations? The things that are the most important to you. Verse 65, all these things were prattled about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, pondering What then will this child be? See, something deeper and powerful was happening and it was filling up, consuming people's thoughts and conversations. Is that the way we think of Jesus? Is that the way we speak of the good news? The light in the darkness, the hope for the hopeless, the rescue and deliverance for those oppressed and in bondage? What are we twittering about? i use a different word. If Facebook is the modern day agora, the marketplace, what's the news? There's much news about your little one. Hey, I'm guilty. I'm speaking to myself. Your little one seems like the coming of the fulfillment of the Messiah. Look at him now. Politics, bucket lists. What we need to hear more of is your deep down opinions about superficial things. Let me take a moment and tell you how I really feel about garden gnomes. And it goes viral. We love to stay on surface things. Most of us Live. here's the point, in case you're wondering, most of us are very aware of an audience and our messaging, but our thoughts are not consumed and our words are not filled with the good news, they're filled with other news. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we may not categorize it that way. We might say, oh, me too. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Where's the evidence? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And proclaiming that and having our words filled with the gospel will cost us something. Here's what we should wonder at. We should wonder that God desires to fill us and use us to make him known. Look at Elizabeth. Look at Zechariah. Look at Mary, look at Joseph, look at just about anyone that made it into those pages. They're almost all nobodies from nowhere that God made great by visiting, filling, empowering, and using. May it be, Lord. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit is? dwells in you. God desires to fill and dwell everyone. Not just a select few, but everyone. You and me, he desires to fill and to use to consume and proclaim who he is. To know and make known what he has done. Marvel at that. Tremble at what you've just heard. And we pray like Mary prayed that we saw last week. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Come upon me. Overshadow me with your power and presence. I am but your servant. Your will be done in and through me. Like Zechariah, our actions can be powerful testimonies of who God is and what he's done. But when we are able and have opportunity, when our tongues can speak, may they be filled with the good news of Jesus. He has come and is coming again. By the way, I heard this week, or the last couple weeks, a, a, a great simple statement, I think. If you hesitate to be a preacher of the good news, in whatever context, whatever agora, whatever space you are in, If you hesitate, is part of it because the good news doesn't sound good to you. The way that you would say it, you hesitate because that doesn't, I don't know, that doesn't sound good. They're not going to want to hear that. It may not be the good news. The good news should sound good. It sounds incredible. It sounds sometimes unbelievable but it should sound good. Jesus has come to rescue, to deliver, to give hope, to provide life, to forgive of all our sins, no matter who we are or aren't, what we've done or haven't done, what we know or don't know. He sees you. He loves you. He is choosing you. He is calling you and drawing you to himself that you would have hope, life, purpose, peace, peace, Fulfillment, healing, forgiveness, that shame would be unknown is good news. May we wonder. May we be like John, finding our greatest joy and importance by making the great one known, that we become less, that he becomes more. The irony of that, that's the path to greatness. That's God's economy. Do we have friends and neighbors and relatives who are totally unaware of God's presence and yet languishing for lack of any true sense of wonder? If only there were opportunities to gather together To celebrate. To share our life. To share our thoughts and our opinions. If only there were those opportunities in the next couple weeks. If they're not there already, we can make them. We can find them. But it must begin with us. The response to God's word should never be, I have to. But it should be, I want to. I've heard the good news and what he's done. I've been reminded. Lord, loosen my lips to proclaim who you are. To find opportunity to make you known. Regardless of that cost. Fill me, Lord. I'll invite the team to come as we head into response that we can pray these kinds of prayers as we're singing. We can sing our prayers. We can meditate on the words of God's promises or maybe what he's speaking to you in conviction, not in guilt. Conviction is good. Guilt oppresses. God's word comes with both conviction and hope, encouragement. And so as we come to the table, as we gather And we will gather in various ways, I know, through life groups, through family gatherings, through neighborhood connections, but in this way we come every week to gather around a table in some ways together, both being reminded of what Christ has done for me as an individual. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, your grace, and the tangible reminder of what it cost you. We also come with a sense of that community, that we are not alone, that God is building a people, a kingdom, that one day there will be a much bigger table that we will feast with our Lord and King, the hope that we have of His coming again. We celebrate at Christmas. I'll pray this prayer I prayed earlier. Join me in your heart, if you will, and then we'll respond with both opportunity to give and opportunity to receive. Come as you are led as we sing these songs. Lord God, astonish us with your presence. Wake us up from our malaise. Rescue us from our fleeting and feeble sense of wonder to a holy and deep longing for more of you. And light a fire in our midst. Astonish us with your word. May we be unable to go through our day without pondering your amazing grace and mercy and seeing the works of your hands and the words of your mouth. And may we be unable to keep silent. Loosen our tongues to speak of your goodness. For your glory and for our joy, we pray. Amen.